Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. A Delray Beach, Florida construction worker saw an odd item floating in the intercoastal waterway. It appeared to be a suitcase bobbing along the water. As it moved, and as he watched it move with the tide, he saw a human body part protruding from the bag. Delray PD were called and arrived on the scene along with the Coast Guard and secured the bag. Inside were the partial, dismembered human remains. They continued to investigate the area and found two more bags with the remains of a single female victim. They stated that the victim was in the early stages of decomposition, putting her time of death sometime between July 17th and 20th. Her identity is currently unknown, with no missing persons matching her description. They say that the woman is either white or Latin American, 5'4", with brown hair and brown eyes, and has tattooed eyebrows. Her estimated age is between 30 and 50. She was wearing a tank top with a unique pattern. The shirt was traced back to a Brazilian brand, Betzave. She was wearing black shorts and a black undershirt as well. The suitcases were all tied with red ribbons and law enforcement has provided images of two of the three suitcases. At this time, law enforcement is not revealing the cause of death. Law enforcement is asking residents in the area to check their security footage of any suspicious activity from July 15th to 24th. In early July, following an anonymous tip, Mexican and U.S. authorities investigated reports of a mass grave site in Reynosa, Mexico, a border town only four miles from the U.S. border. Volunteers with the group for the love of the disappeared, consisting solely of relatives of the missing and murdered persons in Mexico, conducted the search and uncovered what is believed to be the skeletal remains of approximately 27 people. The remains were discovered to be dismembered, making both identification and cause of death difficult to determine. However, relatives were able to identify four victims based on tattoos, though DNA confirmations have yet to be conducted. Officials in Mexico have stated that a thorough investigation will be conducted to identify the persons found. This is, unfortunately, a concerning trend in recent years, with several mass grave sites being found across the country. According to the Advocacy for Human Rights in the Americas, there are over 100,000 missing people in Mexico, and gangs or cartels abduct, murder, and dump victims into mass graves much like this one. 
Investigating these tips can also be quite dangerous for the volunteers as cartels have been known to leave false tips and hide explosives. Dozens of people, including some children, have been casualties. After multiple attacks, Mexico has decided to stop having law enforcement show up to these areas to search. Now, search parties mostly consist of mothers of these missing loved ones. A heartbreaking sacrifice these volunteers are making to restore some answers to families. A Portland, Oregon jury is currently deciding the fate of 38-year-old Tony Klein. The former nurse has been found guilty of using his position of authority to intimidate his patients at the Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. Klein was employed there from 2010 to 2018, and during his time there, he used his position at the facility to isolate and abuse inmates who came into the medical unit for treatment, as well as inmates who worked in the department as orderlies. He resigned when abuse allegations started to be investigated by Oregon State Police. The U.S. Attorney's Office said in a statement to the media, quote, by virtue of his position as a medical provider, Klein was often alone with his victims and assaulted many before, during, and after medical treatments. For women who worked in the medical unit, Klein manufactured reasons to get them alone in secluded areas such as medical rooms, janitor's closets, or behind privacy curtains. Klein made it clear to his victims that he was in a position of power over them and that they would not be believed if they tried reporting his abuse. An investigation into Klein began in 2018, when an inmate came forward with a federal lawsuit against Oregon Department of Corrections for a culture of abuse and directly named Klein as a perpetrator of a significant portion of that abuse. His trial began in July, and the jury took two days to deliberate the verdict. He was found guilty of 17 counts of sexual assault and four counts of making false statements under oath in his 2019 deposition. He faces life in prison, and his sentencing is set for October 17th. Henry Lee is a famous, now-celebrity forensic scientist. According to his website, he claims to have been involved in solving 8,000 cases over his impressive five-decade-long career. Cases he has provided his expertise on include the John Benet Ramsey investigation and the O.J. Simpson trial. He was a blood spatter expert for the Michael Peterson trial. He also worked on the Kaylee Anthony murder investigation. He grew to be a highly desired trial expert, not only in the U.S., but across the globe. His fame also led him to become a serial regular on crime TV programs like Forensic Files, leading him to get his own TV show. However, some of his methods have been called into question. In 2007, he was accused of withholding key evidence in the Phil Spector trial, but it was deemed a mistake and he was never held accountable for that. Then in 2019, two men convicted of a murder in 1985, Ralph Birch and Sean Henning, filed an appeal for citing wrongful conviction and asked to have key evidence used to convict them be retested. The items in question was a towel Henry Lee had testified to contain blood. 
The appeal was approved and the towel was submitted to modern forensic examination. During that re-examination, it was discovered that the towel had never been previously tested and no blood was found. Henry Lee had lied about crucial evidence that had been used to convict two men of murder, and they had been in prison for nearly as long as Lee's career. In 2020, their conviction was vacated, which then led the two men to filing a federal lawsuit, citing Henry Lee and eight other members of law enforcement as responsible for their wrongful conviction. On July 21, 2023, the federal judge presided over the lawsuit deemed Lee liable for falsifying evidence, along with the prosecutors and the new Milford Police Department. For Lee, this will likely end in paying out damages to the victims. However, he is denied any wrongdoing. Hennings, in a statement to the media, said, quote, I'm not looking for just compensation in terms of money. I want there to be changes in our system. There is no such thing as justice. You will never get back what they took from you. There is no getting my life back. They took 30 birthdays, 30 summers, weddings, Christmases, funerals, New Years. There's no words for what they've done to me and my co-defendant. There's no words to describe what it feels like to be in prison for something you didn't do and sit and think, why did this happen? And why is no one coming to fix what they did? There's no words for that. At this point in time, there's no word yet on whether Henry Lee's other cases will be re-examined or if he'll be barred from any further work as a trial expert. Zachary Scheich was arrested on July 20th when it was discovered that he'd been posing as a 17-year-old high school student in Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln Northwest High School had been the same high school that he'd graduated from nearly a decade ago. Syke had been using an elaborate scheme to locate, manipulate, and coerce victims to participate in sexual activities that he then distributed online. Some of the victims, all female, were as young as 13. He was arrested and charged with two counts of sexual assault and the use of an electronic device and one count of sex trafficking a minor. The school district contacted law enforcement when it was discovered that a man had been attending the school with fraudulent documents. Scheich had been documents described as well-crafted, which included a falsified birth certificate under the name Zach Hess, transcripts from other schools, immunization records, and other medical records. At this time, victims are still coming forward, but it appears to be a significant amount of young girls who communicated with this man. The exact scope of the victims is unknown at this time, but parents are encouraged to speak to their children. At this time, Shaikh has admitted to impersonating a student, but has denied sexually assaulting any of his victims physically. He is currently being held on a $250,000 bond. The court records have been sealed to protect the identities of the victims. Now, when asked how this could happen, officials revealed that Shaikh is 5'4", 120 pounds, and, quote, blended in with the other students. On July 13th, first responders were called to a grocery store in Evergreen Park, Illinois. An active shooter was reported, but there was only one victim who was identified as 21-year-old Jalene Flores. The victim had been in the stock room when her ex-boyfriend came into the store and shot her multiple times. She was declared deceased at the scene. 
Armani Henry was arrested later that day and charged with first-degree murder. Jeline had recently ended the relationship and had sought out a protective order against Henry, and it had been granted, but it had never been served. Three days before she was murdered, she discovered an Apple AirTag on her vehicle. She and her brother discovered that the AirTag was connected to Henry's cell phone and smashed it. He later turned up at her place of work, threatening her and her family if she cut contact with him. She had filed a second protective order the day before the attack. Her cell phone showed that on July 13th, she had 124 text messages from Henry threatening to kill her. According to court records from Chicago, Armani Henry had a history of domestic violence and had previously been convicted of battery. He has been charged with murder and is being held in custody while he waits his next court date on August 11th. -hmm. 36-year-old Peaches Sturgo has been sentenced to three years in prison for defrauding an elderly man experiencing a cognitive decline of his entire life savings. Sturgo met the victim eight years ago on a dating website, and since then poses not only a companion to the victim, but also as working from various financial institutions. She created fake emails and posed as a bank employee, convincing the man that he had outstanding debts that needed to be paid. The victim was 86, a Holocaust survivor, and he lost his home in the process. The frauds were only discovered when the victim's son began going through his financial records. Sturgo, on the other hand, moved into a gated community, had multiple vehicles, which included a boat, went on lavish vacations, and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on designer purchases. Sturgo also referred to her ongoing scam as her, quote, business, and often went to the victim's home to steal items to resell. Text messages between her and her real-life partner revealed that she often would make fun of the victim for believing that she loved him and lamented when he couldn't send her any more money. She also said in text messages, quote, I'm just aggravated, hurt, frustrated that I haven't made money. I don't want to work. It's too hard. Sturgo was arrested on January 2023 and charged with one count of wire fraud. She's pleaded guilty to the charge. The victim sent a letter to the courts during the sentencing hearing, and he said, quote, As a Holocaust survivor, I have endured unspeakable pain and loss in my life, but never did I imagine that I would be subjected to such heartless betrayal in my old age. At the age of six, I lost both my parents in the Holocaust, and it wasn't until ten that I had an opportunity to sit at a school desk for the first time. He also wrote, quote, I grew up in a boarding school surrounded by the echoes of the horrors I had experienced. Determined to make a better life for myself, I moved to the United States in my early 20s. Over the next 60 years, I worked tirelessly to establish a successful business, family, and home in New York. And now I'm 88 years old, and the last thing I expected was to finish my days in the same manner I started them, penniless and betrayed. The judge noted that the exceptional cruelty Sturgo placed upon the victim, and she was sentenced at the end of July to 51 months in prison and was ordered to pay back just over $2.8 million to the victim. She was also ordered to forfeit the home she purchased, jewelry, Rolex watches, and 100 luxury items.
A 67-year-old man, Ivan Sevastino, walked into a Wells Fargo in Lakewood, New Jersey and attempted to rob the bank by slipping a note to the teller. The teller simply said no, so the man walked out of the Wells Fargo and went across the street to a TD bank. At the second bank, the man repeated the same process, handing the same note to the teller. At the TD, the teller handed over 1500 cash and Ivan walked out. This isn't Ivan's first time making the news. In 2018, he was charged with a dozen counts of animal cruelty when it was discovered he was hoarding cats in his home. Over 50 animals were removed by the SPCA in what was described as a deplorable living condition. Ivan then robbed another bank on July 6th and was arrested shortly after. He has been charged with two counts of robbery and is being held in county jail while he awaits further court proceedings. After covering quite a few heavy cases, I like to end the videos on a lighter note, and this case is kind of that. It was around 1am on July 28th when a family discovered a man stuck in their chimney. The man was known to the family and was 47-year-old Irvin Ortiz Guzman and had been violating a protection order against him while trying to break in. Guzman had made it about two-thirds down the way of the chimney before the flue became too narrow, and he found himself lodged inside. He screamed, which alerted the family inside, and they called 911. Firefighters had to work for two hours to pull him back up the chimney. He was extracted without any serious injuries, but was taken to the hospital for treatment for minor issues. Guzman now faces criminal trespassing charges and violating a protection order. Firefighters would like to remind the public that despite chimneys being okay for Santa to get in and out of, humans are not capable of going down chimneys. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.